This episode of Camel Assembly Radio is brought to you by DFNS. I've lived in New York City for over a decade, and what that means is I haven't done my own laundry for over a decade. It's all wash and fold. Honestly, the most prized moment of showing people around my brownstone bedsty is when I get to the washing machine and dry it. DFNS have catered to the rapid urbanization of our world by creating Apparel Launder, a product that cuts down on the unnecessary laundry we do each week. Using a water-based product that uses the power of probiotics to eliminate odor molecules, you spray clothes thoroughly and then let them dry for 10 minutes. Plus, your clothes will be wrinkle-free. No more ironing, either. This little bottle is sexy, transportable, and it's a bit of a life hack for anyone who lives in a big city. Okay, we're good to go, Danny. Welcome to Camel Assembly Radio, the radio show where we speak to female artists and activists about what they're making and where they're making change. We are your hosts, Keshia Hanum and Yelda Ali. And Yelda, it's it's been a week. I'm really excited about the fact that we're talking about protagonists mm-hmm. today. I love this topic. Before we get into it, let's just quickly talk about the fact that both of us have been going through really antagonizing weeks in spaces that should be safe for us. For me personally, I've been dealing with a lot of antagonism in the music industry. I could be DJing two hours into my set and then have the sound guy come and harass, you know, for example, one of my best friends. No, I mean, like, let's talk about that situation. Like, that was a real situation where you were DJing and were coughing. Because I was sick. You were sick. Yeah. I went and got you a glass of water. I walked up to you on the stage with the glass of water and a man comes over and starts screaming, at literally screaming, not exaggerating. I We were both completely sober, so I remember <laughs> this very clearly. And he was screaming in a completely unintelligible way that didn't match the circumstance. So I was confused and I was like, sorry, what? He's like, get off the stage! And at first I was like, this is not rare for real tension or conflict in these spaces but it's just coming to a point where it's like I'm here as talent I can't actually enable this constant way you treat people right well it's normalizing it's normalizing discrimination and intimidation and then I'm thinking it's over five minutes later he's coming back and he's calling me to the side and I'm like what's that you know like is there a problem here and it's like this is my house. This is my house. You do as I say. And it's like, are, is this a joke? And for me, you know, this is the first time recently where I was like, all right, if this is your crib, I got to go. And I pulled the music because I'm really tired of the harassment. Three days later, I go to a reputable pop-up event for Halloween with big names and security is screaming at me and my girl because he thinks we're groupies trying to get to the DJ booth. Like, y'all need to get around. Y'all, I don't know. And so I literally am standing there waiting for him to get it out. And then he looks at me, gives me the chance to speak. I go, hey, 
I'm just trying to get to the DJ booth. I'm about to perform. He goes, I don't got time for this then. Why didn't you just say so? It's like, you literally have been screaming at me since I stepped up here. Well, I think it's also you recognize that you are enabling when you don't call it out in the moment. And I've stood behind you and beside you in so many DJ booths and seen how mostly men treat female talent. I do a lot of speaking, right? There's a situation where I was at an event and I was assisting another. So there was the founder of the company. He was speaking. He asked me to come and support and to help people with messaging and things like that. So I came in, nothing to do with production, nothing to do with logistics, came in as sort of like a 2IC talent to this guy. I was at this event where it was prominently very wealthy people. I wasn't given a seat all day. I was told that I wasn't part of the conversation, so therefore I wasn't allowed to have a seat. So I stood at the back for the majority of the day until the end of the day where I was in a room and Anna Wintour was doing the final session and I saw there was a chair available. The chair had been not occupied for 20 minutes, so God forbid I went and sat down and I acted as I would in any other scenario. I was listening. There were moments of bravery that she exhibited and there was a moment where I clapped and in clapping other people clapped. A minute later, a woman walks over to me and hands me a napkin. And I turn the napkin over. It says, hi, can I have a chat to you outside? I go outside and she says, you're going to need to stand out here. And I was like, why? And she was like, you are not part of the conversation and we can't have you initiating a clap like that. And I was like, sorry, I, I'm, I'm just genuinely trying to understand what you're saying because you can't possibly be telling me that I'm not good enough to be in that room and so therefore I need to not uh, be visible and to not make noise. And she was like, yeah, you know, well, like, it's Chatham House rules and the members haven't been, haven't been equipped to, to deal with that kind of thing. And I was like, do you know what Chatham House rules are? Because that's not even relevant to what you're saying. And then long story short, in that moment, what I do recognize now is I should have said something. I have imbibed years of conforming to certain rules and conventions that I think need to be upheld. It comes from being in a lot of rooms where I'm definitely the youngest and most of the time the only brown woman. And I therefore feel like I'm naughty a lot. And I have been given that message over and over and over again, unless I speak exactly as people want to be spoken to. And it's the first time I'm realizing, like I've seen this happen to you so many times, Yelda, where unless you deliver it in a way that people want to hear it, you're deemed X, Y, and Z. Crazy, out of control, whatever. (laughs) I mean, that's not to say I'm not those things. And I'm just starting to, it's these small moments that show people's bias. And I actually think that the way that we, that we start addressing these things is to call them out in the moment because I can't go back and teach that woman anything now. She has, she has confirmed her viewpoint in her head and I cannot now educate. But what I can do in those moments is be brave enough to speak up. And I think that increasingly we're starting to realize that that is, that is something that is speaking of protagonists and antagonists of heroes and villains that is now we're recognizing people who don't speak up are are not the heroes and people who speak up are not the villains. We're actually starting to switch those things. Mm -hmm. And as much as we think we respect and admire people who do that, we still treat people who speak up in the moment as crazy. And we have to watch how we are speaking to people who are being contrary and not labeling them as X, Y, and Z, but recognizing that's actually what courage is. And what's crazy about these sort of antagonists we're talking about that we've been dealing with is like 
I'm sure in parts of their lives, they are the protagonist, you mm -hmm. know, and living a very hero life to their spouse or to their child. Who knows? And that's what's really interesting about today's conversation that I'm excited to start is like, how does that mentality shift mm -hmm. from being a protagonist to an antagonist? And the fact that we could probably be both of those things within the same hour. Um, because I, you know, in that last incident, I was like, you know what? I'm really tired of the fact that nothing ever happens in these situations. So I'm going to have to beat some ass right now. I'm really tired about the fact that nothing ever actually happens. You know, there's this like hope for this thing that's going to get fixed in post and nothing happens in post, you know, and I think that's what's really tricky about these spaces. And I, and I think that's where it's taking a stand in the moment, you know, and increasingly that's becoming um, applicable and necessary. And I think it's where Malcolm X, for example, was right in that we are really passive in wanting change in how we want it. We're like, I want it, but from this side of my screen... You know, not that I'm actually going to stand up and potentially die for it in this moment. Uh, I think there's something to that. And that actually Malcolm X was seen as both a hero and a villain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that both exist, yin-yang, always. And I actually think that our two guests are going to have a lot to say about playing these roles. And Speaking we are... of heroes. <laughs> for real. <laughs> so thankful to have these two inspiring women in the studio right now. Lucy and Scotch, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, sisters. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah. We're going to ask you a couple questions just to sort of learn more about you. It's something we've done in every Camel Assembly is we ask women, who are you? What is your purpose? What do you care about? Scotch, let's start with you. All right. At the core, I'm a healer using sound. Whatever I do, wherever I go, I just I lead with my heart. And I always just want to have fun. That's a struggle sometimes because I take things so seriously. Mm -hmm. Or like in the past, like my career, so seriously. But I want to bring joy to wherever I'm at. Even if that's just an energy. But music is my full thing. And I, I like to address talking about mental health because that's definitely a stigma. What are you putting your hands to right now? Well, <laughs> my shoulder. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> trying to heal my real. shoulder, trying to heal myself, mm. to be honest. The most important thing. That's, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right. Hi. Hi. Hi, Lucy. I'm Lucy. I like to describe myself as a neurotic overachiever, which is <laughs> why I feel so at home in New York City. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like to think of that in a positive way. Sometimes people portray those kind of attributes negatively but being a very idealistic person from a young age I like to think that it's helped me to have that kind of approach to things I've always had very strong ideas about justice and fairness and all of that and it translated into my professional work into my personal life into the various things that I do the things that I'm working on I mean, I have my nine to five job, which is actually, I'm very passionate about it. <laughs> I work on disability rights at the international level. But in my spare time, apparently I don't get enough of that. So I do even more <laughs> with that. <laughs> and I, I try to, in my own way, change some attitudes and change some approaches and 
get people thinking and really reevaluating what they think about disabled people, but especially disabled women. First time I saw you, you were on the dance floor and got my attention when I was DJing, yeah? Yeah, yeah, that's So you're that's doing me. it, girl, you're doing it. <laughs> I've been a wheelchair user for three years, but I had invisible disabilities for most of my life before that. So I was intimately familiar with various aspects of living with a disability, of living with chronic illness, all of those experiences. Before becoming a wheelchair user, I used crutches and a cane for 10 months. Before getting my own personal wheelchair, I used maybe three or four different types of wheelchairs. Now, those might seem like strange things to specify, but it really gave me a huge insight into the different ways that people treated me and the ways that people perceived me and the ways that people reacted to me. Up until I became a wheelchair user, I had stopped disclosing anything about my disabilities due to losing jobs, losing friends, and a lot of that based on people's misconceptions and people's preconceived notions of what disability means. And you know, for my friends who grew up as wheelchair users, they said whenever they read a book or opened a magazine or watched a movie or looked on TV, Nobody looked like them. They're not the protagonist. They were not. And for some of them, they were the only kid in a wheelchair in their school, in their neighborhood, and it affected the way that they saw themselves. Right. You're, you're bridging that space. And I think this conversation of protagonists, right? What, is, what does that mean to you? I have always, as a writer, thought of protagonist and antagonist as literary devices, right? There are characters mm-hmm. that you build, but the idea of, of using it almost as a, as a mental framework was new to me and something that you actually introduced me to. For me, protagonism is just like a way you choose to live your life in believing that this is about me and my hero's journey. And I'd rather be that than the antagonist that's trying to stop people from overcoming their obstacles, you know, which is actually a mindset that I think we could fall into very unconsciously and innocently. Mm-hmm. Scott, what's your definition of protagonist? When you guys were talking about your different experiences, either performing or speaking, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a... I heard you knew that. Yeah. <laughs> Bunch of stories. So I, I feel like externally, there's so much of being perceived in a certain way and thus mistreated? Yeah. I mean, whether it be in the whole performance aspect or just, you know, even out on the street, just trying to operate as a woman, queer woman, someone of color. And, but I think, I think internally, that's like the biggest theme that I'm going through right now is this self-care thing, this soul searching and kind of identity, like struggling with my mental health at the moment. It used to be something that I would talk about that, like, I overcame. I'm not afraid to talk about it within my music because I always want to reach anybody who's going through something similar. But the past few months have hit me pretty hard. My antagonist is part of me. And then also I feel like the protagonist is, like, my soul. The antagonist is my ego. (laughs) Because also as performers, we're always trying to better ourselves and we can't help but compare ourselves to each other you know whether it be for monetary reasons or fucking clout I I try so hard not to compare 
And I'm like, okay, I got to get better at this. I got to get better at that. But then just recently, I'm like, you know what? If I just let go of my ego, I could just sit back and just let things happen naturally. Everyone has both of it. Right. So it's really like, how do you feed that protagonist and the soul yeah, yeah. versus the antagonist, yeah. the ego. Yeah. I I love the way you describe yeah, that, that because when you put it that way, I see that idea. So, mm-hmm. Something I say to people, I say, my body betrayed me. Mm-hmm. It turned on itself. It did all of these things that it wasn't supposed to do. I have six chronic conditions, all incurable, all permanent. One definitely degenerative. It'll get worse over time. And it wasn't coming from the outside. It was coming from inside me. And all of them are just random. They're luck of the draw, so to speak. You know, it, it wasn't that I didn't do this or I did do that. It just happened. And in my early diagnoses, I really struggled with this idea where... It was coming from inside me. I was like, how can the enemy be me? You know, what, what is this? I'd always, I'd always thought that villains were external. in the fairy tale. They were external. Yeah. But my villains were inside me and I couldn't get rid of them. So mm. I really, I like that you've, you know, drawn that out and as well. And how interesting how it comes that antagonist can come out physically, mentally, in so, yeah, many, yeah, yeah. In so many ways. Yeah. And I, I feel like, um, you know, I'm, I'm appreciating the way that popular culture is now portraying heroes and villains. And I mean, it's not even popular. Well, it is. It's recent. Oh, but, Joker. Right. Take an example mm. like the Joker, yeah. which many references have been made to um, Taxi Driver as well. And the idea that what's amazing about both of those films is you get to the end and you're like, Oh, I I both despised that the character yeah. and I both completely understood totally. them. Yeah. And I think that it's it's a further representation of, you know, like I will often say about yin yang, it it's the most perfect philosophy in a symbol because it's you look at it, it's ever changing and in the black there is white and in the white there is black. Right. And they are balanced and they form each other, you know, and it's and it's that it's just so much the plurality of of ourselves where we have existed so much in in binary cultures where it's like either you're a saint or you're a sinner, mm-hmm. either you are good or you're bad. And then we th- apply that to everything. You know, you're either a Democrat or a Republican. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole bunch of things that go with either of them without recognizing, like, if we keep doing that, not only are we oversimplifying very, very complex things, we are also separating ourselves from one another and ourselves. And that ultimately is, for me, the, the greatest harm, yeah. I think. And... I think that the question that I have after listening to you guys is, how do you end up not hating the villain, right? Because that is something else that we're conditioned to do, that, you know, this is the bad guy. Empathy. It's empathy, right? I think that nobody, it's, nobody has 100% good thoughts. Nobody has 100% bad thoughts. When you look at a villain, right, uh, Narcos, Breaking Bad, whatever, they're, the reason villains are likable is because in those moments that they're not doing these villainous things, 
you see their human sides. You know, it's that character buildup. You see how much they show up to the bedside of their dying mother in the hospital when they're not murdering people. <laughs> you know, they show these human sides to everybody. That uh, gives totally. you that perspective 100%. that it's like, ah, maybe that person is doing their best. Mm -hmm. Before I came to New York, uh, before I worked in the UN system, I worked in child welfare. The senior caseworker that I had been working with this family with, she came in very upset and said, you know, this, this mother, she's back on heroin. And, you know, we sat there and we're looking at our notes and we're, we're thinking, where did we go wrong? Like, you know, maybe we should have given better support here. Maybe we should have done this. Maybe we should have pushed her to do that. And she turned to me and said, but maybe this is the best version of her. Mm. And that was a very, for us, difficult moment mm. where we thought, what, what if, what if this, this is it? And, and what can we do for this mother and for her child if this is her best version? If this, this is, is this the best mother that she can be? And mm. it was a, you know, in a way, a very fitting way to end, end that time because it, it spelled out all the difficulties that, that I had with doing that because nothing is black and white. Yeah. Reconcile that with your belief or your, your understanding of yourself to be an eternal optimist. So for me, because I, I resonate with that as well, mm -hmm. and I'm very much resonating with the idea. It's like maybe this is somebody, somebody's, this, maybe this is somebody's best. How do you bring those two ideas together? So... There was that experience and I left that job and I went into working with uh, refugee asylum seeker kids. Someone along the line had decided that when we wrote our reports on these kids, their school attendance and their, you know, sports activities, whatever, they said, you're going to use their numbers, their file numbers, not their names. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I can't do that. And it made me think about how can I really influence change at this level? You know, I'm trying my hardest at this, this grassroots level, but I keep coming up against these, these systems and these infrastructures that I just can't move anywhere in. So I need to go higher. And I thought, well, how high can I go? Okay, I can go into policy. I can go into decision-making. I can go to the United Nations. So I did. Mm. Mm. It's it's taking personal and, responsibility. And also, actually, like, isn't that so much of being the protagonist is advocating for a cause, being a champion? Yeah. And I'm very fortunate that in the position that I have now, I am able to work directly with, with representatives of the different countries and talk to them about, you know, disability rights and, you know, try to, to get that into the work that, you know, that plays out in the UN system. That is why when I started this job, I felt so at home. I felt like I'd finally got into a place where I could, to the best of my abilities, influence more people. You don't get to see the results in such a concrete way as when you work directly in grassroots, but... You know, you see it start to trickle down. 
Isn't it interesting how like something that can appear to be antagonizing can then become the vessel to turn you into a protagonist? Probably a negative thing happening to you and then you will learn that it's happening for you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you really experience that journey. And embody it. And yeah. Scotch, I feel like you, you know, I first, I'm the moment I knew you, I knew what you stood for. Mm-hmm. You know, you have constantly put your causes and values at the forefront of your work. Is that is that challenging or is that something that's very natural and authentic to who you are? I've kind of grown with it, I guess, as I as I've performed. Because before, when I used to perform, I, I like would barely talk. It was just like I'm just gonna sing. I just wanted to be me. Just knowing that I'm not changing for anyone at any time is a message within itself. That was unique to you. And then what's cool is you end up creating hundreds of other little heroes, (laughs) you know, and then they become their own heroes. And that's part of the hero's journey as well to inspire and for for people to feel safe. Right. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. It may not even be like mini heroes, you know, I think it's just mini steps that that you're that you're reinforcing. You know, because it's a lot to ask someone to be heroic, but just by being kind, you can create a ripple effect that will induce more acts of kindness. I think where we've harmed ourselves is in being reductionist in this idea, because it's it's actually how you you see dissent is by making people think that there are people to hate and there are people to love. And I think so much of what everybody's discussed is that we are those things within ourselves. And there is peace and integration, not necessarily ease and not necessarily comfort and not necessarily accordance or agreement, but there is acceptance and, to Yelda's point, empathy that I think we need so much more of right now. Like more than ever in in 2020, we need yep. empathy, you know? Namaste. Um, <laughs> By that I mean, I bow to the protagonist in you. (laughs) Pamela Assembly's rapid fire. Not so rapid, but very fire. Rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire. Fire. Rapid. Fire. Okay. Five questions. Five questions. Rain or snow? Rain. Rain. Uh, write a book or fly a plane? Write a book. Fly a plane. Oh. Last time you cried in public? Probably pretty recently. <laughs> like a couple of hours ago. <laughs> um, what album do you have on repeat right now? The 70s hits playlist on Spotify. Oh. Noting that. Uh, Jamie Isaac. Who's that? <laughs> I know it's rapid fire, but like you can't clarify. Just, uh, <laughs> no. He's a. Um, I think he's from the UK. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Cool. Uh, like, like R&B. R&B? Yeah, yeah. You know I love R&B. Yeah. So I'm yeah. Opening Spotify. Sisters, thank you for being here with us. I thank I you. Truly, like, I don't use this word a lot because it has a lot of weight for me. Uh, I find you to be heroes. Like I am very moved by the way you live your lives and certainly the conversation we've had today but every day I, I 
watch you guys and I think about the choices you've made. And so I'm, I'm really, really honored that you chose to be here today. So thank you so much. And it's an honor to yeah. be with you. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. I could um, stay and chat to you guys all night. <laughs> and we will. Kashia Hanum, Marching Daily.